I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is the Swiss Army human, Henry White. Henry discusses with me his role at Studio 52, his work as the theater manager for the Magic Circle in London, and a lot more. Nick Lacapo stops by the show to discuss the feature product of the week from Nicholas Lawrence. Before all of that, we start off the show with one of our quickfire segments, where one of your favorite magicians postulates a scenario in which they wash up on a stretch of land in the middle of the ocean and consider the reading material that they would prefer. This week, FISM champion Sean Farquhar joins me for Desert Island Magic Books. Sean Farquhar, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. Let's suppose you wash up on a desert island with one magic book, but it's made of Tyvek, so it's not going to fall apart in the wind and the rain and the sand. What is your Desert Island Magic Book? I love your qualifying. Those are good. <laughs> I like that you said the word magic, because the first thing I thought, I've been interviewed before, and they said, what's your favorite book? And I said, well, the book I would take with me is something on survival, so I eat the right <laughs> berries and could build a boat. That's what I would do. Um uh, so probably- just so for your edification and entertainment, this island has sort of evolved over the years, and um, it, it has a resort with restaurants oh. and lay people to perform for, and a magic shop so you can get props. It's just that it's very thin on books. So. Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a heck of an island. I yeah. want to go there. Do they book like short vacations? Um, yeah, no. the The only way you can get to this island is if you if you're shipwrecked there. So uh, <laughs> so everyone's bringing books. So um, I think uh, it used to be my answer was always the books of wonder mm-hmm. because I really think, or Tarbell was my start. Tarbell mm-hmm. was always the go-to because it's a volume. So I kind of cheat because I've got like, you know, a great volume of books. Um, and then it was uh, books of wonder because I've devoured that, those books countless times. And I still go back and read the essays again when I evolve. Uh, but embarrassing, I think I would put, uh, pick the magic of Johnny Thompson. Uh, the two volume set. I, that's, because, I, that's not embarrassing at all. I love those. Oh, books. here's the embarrassing part. I haven't opened it yet. I bought it. Oh. Johnny signed them. And I just, because when I sit down to read it, I really want to sit down and read it because Johnny was a genius. And I know, and I don't want to just pick through it. I want to. So, so they're sitting right there, feet away from me. And every time I look over, it's like, no, you'll want time to like, just, just uh, escape mm-hmm. and going to the Island. That would be the escape. And I, I don't I don't even have to, you know, uh, think, is there going to be great stuff in it? I know that the stuff is going to be great and that his thinking is going to be great. And the people behind it who put it together were amazing. And yeah, so I, I think that's the book. Most people will tell you books that they've read hundreds and hundreds of times. I'm telling you a book I haven't read yet only because of time. Well, I've, I've read the books and I can tell you you're in for a treat. I actually, in my show, I do the very last trick in the Johnny Thompson books, which is the Johnny Thompson's $100 bill prediction. Oh. And it is, it is something I do my best to always close my shows with. It's incredible fun. The photography in the book is great. Uh, the, the writing is really good. And there's all kinds of bits and, and pieces, for, not only from Johnny, but from other people like, you know, Jared Kopp has contributed stuff because he was very close with him. It's just it's it's a really amazing book set. I think that you would love it, and it doubles because it's very big and very heavy. So you could use it to kill small animals and uh, and survive. On and I thought that you know once I'd read it sixty or seventy times, I used the pages you know as kindling to start fires to keep warm. But apparently, I'm in a hotel, yeah. So I got no problem with that. Yeah, now, no, that that's the books that uh, it's so weird that I haven't got to it, but uh, I've had them since they first came out. I just. 
Yeah, and I really want to devour them. Is I there, just want time. Is there a particular effect you remember Johnny performing that you're excited to read in that book or or hope is in the book that you'd like to perform? I can't doubt that, that it's going to be in there, but Balls in the Net mm-hmm. is one of my favorite pieces from growing up watching Johnny as a kid doing it. Uh, also, anything about doves. I grew up as a dove worker, and it's not that I want to do doves anymore. Uh, but I do want to understand why he was so much better than I ever was. And, and he gave me one of the nicest comments saying, I'm one of the few people that doesn't yank a bird mm-hmm. when I was doing a bird act. And that was because I considered them to be, I spent a lot of time with Johnny. We performed lots. Uh, I was there for one of his most amazing moments where he went out forgetting to load the birds. <laughs> that would be me distracting him completely. Totally my fault. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time watching him do close up in weird situations like in Asia where they didn't understand the language and yet somehow he was able to transcend it just everything the egg bag is for me you know he is the quintessential artist of the egg bag and to to look at that and understand why it was done the way he does it because you know it it was perfect perfection I don't think there's anybody who's done it better I'd love to see and understand it because uh, years ago, there was an auction for um, make Tavel well. A uh, friend Tavel Rose uh, needed an operation, kidney transplant, and uh, we had a big fundraiser. And one of them was um, uh, time with Johnny Thompson. It was like uh, lessons or time, four hours with Johnny Thompson. So I bid it through the ceiling until I won it. Yeah. And was, but you just spend time with me. Anyways, I said, well, the cause was great. And I just want to make sure that at any point, I annoy you. I still have another four hours with you. <laughs> well, Sean, the, the Magic of Johnny Thompson books are a perfect uh, thing to bring on a Desert Island. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. Thanks so much to Sean for joining me on the show. Be sure to go back and listen to his episode where he discusses his theater and upcoming documentary. On to the main event. Henry White is known by many people in the UK as the Swiss Army Human. We just had him here in Columbus, Ohio to be a performer in our new theater, and when I tell you he did an incredible show, I am understating it. It's not a surprise he did an incredible show because he's performed for two US presidents, the Queen of England, and is the go-to person to call in the UK when you need to do, well anything. We discussed his work as the theater manager for the Magic Circle in London, how it has changed his approach to magic, and so much more. And now you get to join our conversation. Henry White, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm very excited to have you in because I personally have been a fan of something that you have been deeply involved in, which is Studio 52, uh, which I know you and Ben Earl are are sort of co-owning and, and producing stuff together. Can you talk a little bit about what your role is with Studio 52 and what's going on there? Absolutely. So people often think that I'm a full-time magician, I'm a full-time performer, and I never wanted to be, and I've always wanted to have something else to support me. So the magic I do is magic I enjoy. Um, and that thing at the moment is Studio 52. And in the past, it's been other magic shops like Prop Dog. I've done stuff with Vanishing Ink. I've done stuff with Davenport's Magic. But right now, uh, the thing I could never have in any of those other shops is the level of control I have working with Ben. Uh, so Ben got in contact with me three or four years ago saying he's got this idea he wants to put something together he knew I worked in the magic industry he knew I knew a bit about websites and stuff like that so he was on the phone every day and out of those conversations over a period of months and years Studio 52 was born and we've produced books and learning resources online and in person we've done lecture tours around around the country and around the world it's very soon Um, and what I do is basically basically everything else that Ben can't do Mm -hmm. At a, at a top end level, so it's the the back end, it's the website stuff, it's the money, it's the, 
the basically the boring stuff, but it's the stuff that I find really interesting. Uh, and then on the team, we also have incredible videographers. We have incredible, uh, we, we have such great people who work with us as well, but it's just such a pleasure to be able to drive that mm-hmm. in a way that I haven't been able to in any of the work I've done over the last 10 years. Well, I know the, the materials that, that Studio 52 produces are beautiful. And we, we met last night, mm-hmm. and in, then when you came into our studio today, uh, which if you can hear people, we're getting ready for Henry's show tonight, which is very exciting. You immediately walked over to our command center and started just, we just had a, a blast just going through the gear together, which is, it's always fun when someone comes in uh, who has an experience in producing stuff to, to see all of our toys that they get to play with. Yeah, I'm a massive kind of audio-visual geek. I always have been since I was at school, so I just love playing with that. And I'm currently, I'm the theatre manager of the Magic Circle, so the Magic Circle, the most prestigious magic club, certainly in the UK, probably in the mm-hmm. world, but I'll have that fight with Magic Castle another day. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a beautiful theatre in central London, and I manage that, and we have incredible AV stuff there and at the studio as well. And like, there's nothing that makes me happier than getting out a new toy with some cables and setting it all up and watching it work. It's like, it's like digital plumbing. It just makes yeah. me really happy. And the only thing I enjoy more than that is taking it apart and coiling them all up and having them all colour-coordinated. So the fact that you have <laughs> colour-coordinated red and blue cables makes me incredibly happy. They can't see this, but trust me, it's, it's very nice. Oh, no, it's uh, co- colour-coordinated cables are one of the most important things for, for anyone in magic. And I think if... I, I kind of wish you had been here when we were setting this theater up because uh, cable management is one of my favorite things in the world, which I'm sure... Which you wouldn't know looking around... I'm joking. It's lovely. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating that you said that the you didn't want to become a professional magician, you, so you just do the magic that you want to do. Um, how, how, have you, how have you found that being on the production side of magic has changed your relationship with magic? So... For me, if you're a full-time performer, the only person you can make better is yourself. Mm-hmm. And every day is about making yourself better. At the end of the year, you have made one person better, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And every year you'll make one person better. And I enjoy making multiple people better, sometimes including myself, but often for everybody else. So like, I work with some of the best magicians in the world. I work with Ben Hart, Faye Presto. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also work with non-magicians. I work in a cabaret show in London, which is the biggest cabaret show in town. We've got a 500-seat theatre. We do three shows a day. And it's just like getting to the end of a week and knowing that you've made 10, 20 people's shows better. Mm-hmm. That's so much like that's so much more rewarding. But what it means is that I can do the magic I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to drive up and down the country going to weddings and talking to brides who I have no interest in their color color coordinated flowers. I don't care and I don't want to care. <laughs> I'm I'm quite a socially awkward and aggressive person. And if you're if you're talking to me about your why, how important your cake is. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to care. I literally don't care, and I don't want to have to. <laughs> and no amount of money is going to make me care. And magic's for me, right? Like, I love magic. I want to love it for the rest of my life. And I think performing magic is a very fast way to not love magic. Mm-hmm. And you talk to these people, particularly close-up performers who've done it 20, 30 years ago, and they're never excited about magic. And I don't want to stop being excited about magic because it's the greatest hobby in the world. I have the greatest friends because of it. And I never want that relationship tarnished. So what it means is doing all these other things, working with other people, not only do I feel better because I'm raising other people up, but it means when I do do magic, it's always special and it's always fun. What would be your advice? Because, I, I mean, I get asked this question a lot on on podcasts and I think that I know my answer, but I'm curious as to, because you're in a very similar role to me in the sense that you often work with other performers uh, who you're just trying to make them look as amazing as possible, whether it's working with their product or working with their show. 
what would be your advice to other magicians wanting to sort of break into the industry side of things? Because I, I think the question is often, how do I become a professional performer? But that's only a small part of it. I think the industry side is, is very different as well. It's very simple. Be useful. That's it. You've just mm-hmm. got to be a useful person. Gather a variety of skills that are useful to the people you want to work with. Mm-hmm. So in my life, I am good with computers, for example. That's a very broad statement, but generally speaking, I'm quite good with the computers. I'm quite good with sound. I'm quite good at understanding visuals. I am also quite good at dealing with lighting. I've worked on shows. I've worked, and it's just use every experience you have as a reason to learn more skills. If you if you're on a if you're on a project or you're doing something and somebody's doing something you don't understand, try and understand it because if you keep encountering these same things, like sound and lights is a very good example in show business. It's like you're never going to be on a stage show where there isn't sound, there isn't light, so or there isn't these days as well, audiovisual, image magnification, things like that. Endeavor to learn how it works because the more useful you become, the more likely you are to get a phone call to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a reason, I try not to brag about this, but I've been kind of nicknamed the Swiss Army Human. And I know that I'm literally <laughs> in some of the best magicians and best performers in the world's black books because mm-hmm. they know if they need somebody on a project, they're spending money but they've got to have somebody on there, they're going to call me because I've got the most skills. So all I can say is just be a useful person. It's not enough just to know a lot about magic. You've got to know as much as possible about everything. So, whether, And that's how you end up on these huge film sets, on TV sets, in theatres, in everything. It's just be useful. Because it's unlikely that... It's not unlikely. It's difficult to become the greatest magical mind of all time. Where well, you're going to get that phone call. You're, but it is quite easy to be quite good at a lot of things and have a kind of unique mix of skills that make you indisposable. And it's that thing of, even as a performer, if you want to be a great performer, you've just got to be undeniable. And it's the same whether mm-hmm. you want to be front of the camera, behind the camera, on stage, off stage. Mm-hmm. Just be undeniable. Make it so that people have to call you. Do you think that acquiring those skills changed the way... It, change the magic that you're presenting on stage because it's it's one thing to say I'm doing the magic that I like but it's very different if you have a, a unique understanding of you just said earlier image mag- magnification so being able to do close-up in a way that plays for a camera that is now going to take what a, sh- a show that could have been done for 25, 30 people in the close-up gallery and now you can do it for 500 or 1,000 people like it, uh, like the Blackpool Magic Convention, yeah. for example. I mean, it, it, how do you think that that has changed the magic that you're doing there? I think it's just an awareness. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Neo from Nicholas Lawrence. Nick Lacapo joined me in the studio to discuss this hypervisual trick perfect for your social media. Nick, we find ourselves talking about our boy again, Nicholas Lawrence. Oh, that's just how this goes. Yeah, it's just it seems like every couple of weeks we're talking about some crazy contraption that Nicholas has invented, and this week we're talking about Neo. Neo's crazy. It really is. It's a um, so this is like a visual card gaff thing that you can. What the effect looks like is you take a card and you draw four X's on it, and then you make those X's like simply jump around the backside of that card. They move. From the four corners to all grouped in one, uh, you can do the X's one at a time, or you can like just snap your fingers and they instantly just like vanish from wherever they are and reappear all in the corner of, of the card. 
I think what's really interesting about this is the gimmick doesn't have flaps or strings that you're pulling. It's all pretty well self-contained and uh, kind of a neat idea that Nicholas has come up with. It can go right into your deck of cards, great for Instagram and your sort of social media stuff. Uh, but it's a... It's, I remember seeing this years ago and the the way the X's move is super visual and not just doing it like one at a time into the corner, but the jump back is crazy, crazy visual. And you don't have to do anything. It's yeah. just it, like the, the gimmick works with gravity. <laughs> I can't name any other tricks that work with gravity, Eric, can you? Uh, gravity holdout? Uh, 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 <laughs> the anti-gravity coin? Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah. yeah. No, but, no, but that's sleight of hand, right? Yeah, we're talking about like a yeah. gimmick that you just sort of, you just, yeah. you just sort of like tilt it forward and it moves. Yep, it's, that's that's basically it. Yeah, yeah, but it's a crazy visual gimmick that I know a lot of you are going to have a lot of fun doing on your social media. We've seen some crazy performances online. Jackie Yu did a really cool thing with it on his, uh, I think it was on his TikTok, uh, but you know, we did an in- unboxing with it or inside the box. So you can go to our YouTube, hunt up Neo inside the box and see us actually performing it for a camera. It's pretty neat. Nicholas Lawrence's Neo. Check it out. That was Neo by Nicholas Lawrence, available at penguinmagic.com. As always, the vivacious listeners to our show receive 25% off the feature product of the week when they enter the special discount code at checkout. This week, that code is MATRIX. That's MATRIX, just like the dystopian science fiction film M-A-T-R-I-X, for 25% off Neo by Nicholas Lawrence. That code is only good for Neo and only good until the next episode of this show airs. Now, back to my conversation with Henry White. I think it's just an awareness. So, so often, as, as, a, as a tech, so if I'm teching a show, a magician comes in and they, they say, oh, can I have a uh, general wash and no music, please? And you go, is that really what you want? Mm-hmm. They go, yep. And I go, no, but is that really what you want? Or is that just all you know? Mm-hmm. And I think having that knowledge means that you can ask for things that are a little bit more interesting, a little bit more special. And it's one of the things I encourage magicians to do when they come, if they come into to our theatre at the Magic Circle or any show I'm working on if they have a really simple request, is genuinely ask them, is like, can we do something a bit more special here? Mm-hmm. Uh, but a good example about how I changed my act with image magnification, and this was something I was going to do at the Circle just before lockdown. This was booked in on March the 13th, mm-hmm. so very bad timing. Um, <laughs> so I'm a big fan of kind of the onstage, I'd, I'd call it kind of the Shin Lim revolution of close-up magic, that mm-hmm. thing of taking card tricks and pu- putting it onto a screen, whether that's on your t- screens at home or on screen on a stage. But I had this really good idea of having an overhead camera hidden off off stage, either in the flies or elsewhere, shooting onto a black table and having it on the projector. So the projector's on, there's no projected screen down, it's just a white curtain behind me. So as far as I can tell, it's just an empty stage with mm-hmm. a black with a white backdrop that's lit, lit up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you move an object into the frame, Currently, it's projecting black on black, so it can't, you can't see anything, or black on white, so it's just nothing. Mm-hmm. Black black light is no light, so yeah. no light is projecting. But as soon as you move your hand into the screen, your hand then appears on the stage. Oh, that sounds so amazing. It's, so it's just one of those things where you're using all those skills at once, and it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's one of those things, as soon as your hands come into frame and you put the deck on the table, 
then they see it appear massive behind you. Mm-hmm. So it's much more incidental. It's not like, now we're going to get the TV out and let's get the camera crew out. And it's often quite awkward and contrived. It's just seamlessly blended into the, to the theatrical experience. I, I'm intensely curious as to this. Were you, were you planning an effect in this as well? I mean, I because mean, it sounds like if it's not just your hand coming in, but also the deck of cards, if the deck of cards is being taken out and they're able to see this close-up performance that is just also being projected almost on top of you, Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a, or, I or, or is it just the aesthetic you were going it's for? It's just there? the aesthetic. So I would be doing standard kind of ace-cutting, normal card tricks, but I just wanted them to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first routine was a kind of Jan Frisch-inspired deck production where the cards appear from nowhere. And then once they appear, I put them on the table, I spread the cards, and as I spread them, they see them on the screen for the first time. Um, but I do want to experiment with it, but it's, what I want, it's the reason I had that show booked in, because I want to play with it, and it's one of those things that you only you only learn once you're in the space, mm-hmm. and you know what you're doing with it. So I'll start with the stuff I already know, and then hopefully over time it would evolve, but who knows? I might be doing it soon. I think having access to your own space is a kind of secret weapon. I know, you know Nick and I have this theater now that we get to play in all the time, and I know that our shows have gotten better because of it, it almost, I'm almost worried that my show is not going to play elsewhere when I'm when I'm outside of the P3 theater because I'm like, oh no, because I, I know I have total control of the lights, I have total control of the sound, I can even program the theater to do things and come alive. How do you prevent yourself from getting too blocked in, given that you have access to one of the premier stages in England? <laughs> it's just about being dynamic, I suppose, and knowing the advantages disadvantages of any room you're going to be in. Mm-hmm. It's like. We're currently sat in like a foyer. Now, yeah. could, you, could you still do a show here? Yeah, sure. And it's just, it's awareness. And I often think the skill of being a good magician is awareness of your surroundings. I think a good magician is somebody who doesn't just do what they do, but does, does what they do best in the room they're in at the time they're doing it. So they look at it, you go, right, I might be conscious of the fact that there's glass there, but it's daytime, so it's not going to reflect. But at night, it is going to reflect. Now, is that advantage? Is that a disadvantage? Mm-hmm. Is that it's using all the things around you, whether it's the soap, the social things around you, the people, whether it's the physical, the walls, the everything. Um, so I think whether you're in theatre, close up, whatever you do, even if you're performing at home on Zoom, to be a good magician, just use your environment to its absolute advantage. And it's the same here. It's like, yeah, I do. Get, I get to go to a theatre two, three times a week, and it's incredible. And it has eight eight camera rigging, and it has mm-hmm. digital programming lights, and it's incredible. But that's the advantage of that space. But it's just being able to be adaptable into any space you're in. It's that whole being the, if you're be water, mm-hmm. be the cup and all that nonsense. Do you, do you find that you have a standard show that you do now? Or is it is it this awareness forcing you to create different shows everywhere? I mean, because right before you came to us, you were you were just on tour. And I imagine that being on tour for you, if you're having this awareness and filling the space, changes your show every venue that you go to. It's... um. For me, it's a case of, like, you saw me getting ready. Like, it wasn't a yeah. case of I opened my case up and just brought the things out. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there, and, like, I'm performing 70% of the stuff I brought. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the lecture, I'll give you everything. But it's mm-hmm. a case of looking at the room, knowing what works. I enjoy that. I think I'd like to be one of those magicians that could do anything, anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. But also, I think sometimes the material suffers because of that. Um, and I don't think, because, again, in the UK, there isn't really a market to be a stage magician unless your name is Darren Brown basically. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few people exceptions to that, like Ben Hart, who we were talking about earlier, and Penn and Teller come over here, David Blaine comes over here, they mm-hmm. fill out theatres, but unless you're a name name, like those guys I just yeah. mentioned, 
that's a, that's a different kind of celebrity. I mean, yeah. they're they're working on the same level yeah. as lots of like big rock bands and comedians. But the, there isn't as many opportunities to be on a stage or in a space where people are sitting down and you're standing up. Mm-hmm. But I think again, it's just about, it's a case of being dynamic. And like, I truly believe there's no difference between stage magic and close-up magic. Mm-hmm. I think those are words invented by magic shops to sell tricks. <laughs> Here at PenguinMagic.com, and um, that's I'm not starting to drive at any particular shop. But no, I think that's a very fair statement because that is always been the case. I mean, there's yeah. there, so I perform at the Mystique Dining Lounge, mm-hmm. which is if you've never been there, you perform at the head of a 40 foot table, and you you know you can't you can't you quote unquote can't do close up because there's people who are 40 feet away from you, but you've also got people at your elbows. So when you're doing parlor tricks, it's still got to be bulletproof. So I just yeah. I have to choose the tricks that are good for that room and that show works nowhere else in the world. Yeah. Because it's because it works so well in that room. Yeah, I like I said, I don't believe there is close up. I don't believe there's stage magic. There's just the magic you're doing in the space that you're doing it, mm-hmm. and it's being being malleable and it's being flexible and being dynamic enough to react to that. And that only comes from experience. So, what I can say to anybody is like, I'm not a big fan of going. This is my close up set, and mm-hmm. this is my stage set. It's just like bring all the stuff you do basically all the time because you'll be surprised. Like, Faye Presto used to do zigzag at restaurants she used to push a zigzag around the table she's told me the story put, put, so put a waiter into it and push them in half equally she can do card on ceiling in a theater or yeah. she'll and there are loads of magicians who do brilliant small magic mm-hmm. on stage that works like ben hart has an incredible um uh gypsy thread routine mm-hmm. which is like we're talking about things that you can barely see up close but they've placed to a two, three thousand seat theatres. And also things like the primary movement we talked about earlier, Ben Ben Earl's routine with the single coin. That moment with the one hand closed, one hand, it telegraphs to spaces big enough. If you can see a human, you can see the trick. Mm-hmm. So I think it's trying to get out the mind space of, oh, that's a close-up trick, I won't do it. And it's just being malleable and being brave and trying stuff and seeing how you can make it work. Like you saw me getting ready earlier mm-hmm. and I'm just like your theatre, your audience is above, above the performer and quite often in the UK in most stages the performer is above the audience so I'm adjusting my things dynamically to adjust that but it's just a case of being aware and so often you see people walk into a space particularly magicians they go oh we can't have people up here we can't have that go, whoa 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 yeah you can't you can't go into someone else's house and change their rules you need you need to be adaptable to them they don't they shouldn't have to be adaptable to you so what I would say the best exercise is just put yourself in difficult situations and force yourself to do things that make you feel uncomfortable magically anyway don't just like hurt yourself (laughs) I think that's fantastic advice and Henry I think it's about time for you to actually go perform for our audience yeah let's do that All right, sounds good thank you so much for being on the podcast it's been my absolute pleasure thank you so much that's gonna do it for this week kids thanks so much to Henry for joining me on the show and thanks to you for listening hey I just wanted to thank all of you Penguin fans that came out to see me at the Mystique Dining in Salt Lake City Utah this week my run here isn't over yet and there are still some tickets available to my show in their prestige theater and I hope to see you there if you want to see me run my FISM act, be sure to join me in Chicago at the Chicago Magic Lounge April 28th through May 1st. It's getting to be crunch time, and I'm running my act in front of as many magicians as I can before I head to the biggest magic competition on Earth. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episode on the social media platform you wish your parents would stop asking how to post embarrassing photos of your childhood from on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show... You're going to have to bring me a tissue because I just finished watching Encanto and the magic was inside her the whole time. And I'm not crying, you're crying. Why did I watch a Disney movie on a plane? This always happens to me. But if sobbing uncontrollably in public because kids' movies are just plain better these days isn't your thing... 
you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform.